Welcome to Truthfinder. This program searches for crucial answers to critical questions about belief, non-belief, and everything in between. Here is your host, Dr. Elijah Sadafor. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. I know it's been a while since we produced an episode of Truthfinder, but I am delighted that you have come back to join me. Since the show began, we've tackled some big questions like why is there something rather than nothing, and why is there life instead of things? But in the next series of podcasts, I'll be talking about a topic that is very touchy for some, and that highly sensitive issue is evolution. In this episode, I will dare to ask the question if Charles Darwin and his theory of evolution are wrong. As the introduction explained, the purpose of this podcast is to search for crucial answers to critical questions about belief, non-belief, and everything in between. This search attempts to be as objective as possible, since the real truth will always be true, regardless of what a person knows, thinks they know, believes, or feels. So in our search for the truth, I will be challenging a core foundation upon which an atheistic worldview rests. That core foundation is Darwinism, or the idea that the diversity of life can be explained without the supernatural and by the purely natural process of evolution by natural selection. When we expose and unearth the foundation upon which Darwinian evolution is based, the structures that are supported by it may shake. Much is at stake because if an atheistic worldview does not have a plausible explanation for life, then the explanation is insignificant and the corresponding worldview is in vain. I'll begin by giving everyone a bit of historical background. Charles Darwin is best known for his theory of evolution by natural selection. His theory was put forth in The Origin of Species, which was published in 1859. Origin had the potential to forever change the world because it presumably described how the diversity in nature could be explained by purely natural processes. In other words, how nature could mold fish to reptiles and apes to humans. Today, more than 150 years later, greater than 6 out of 10 Americans either doubt that evolution is true or deny that it happens solely by natural means. In this case, the skepticism of the majority is not unfounded, and there is wisdom in the crowd. And what wisdom is that? That evolution is not true. The statement evolution is not true is a bold claim that demands evidence, and what I intend to do over the next five episodes is build a case in support of this claim. Yes, there are some evolution skeptics who have made this claim before, and to make their case, they often end up saying the same things. What I hope to do here is something new. Make a case for why Darwin's theory of evolution by natural selection is not true, because natural selection does not exist. What I will reveal is that natural selection has little to do with real science and much to do with philosophical conjecture. What I intend to therefore demonstrate is that ultimately, evolution amounts to an anemic hypothesis based on speculation and untestable assumptions. The claim that evolution is not true stands in opposition to the scientific consensus that evolution is an all-embracing fact. However, as I shall validate, just because a group of people are experts does not mean they're inerrant, nor does it mean their reasoning is correct. 
And for non-experts, it appears that many of those who embrace Darwinian evolution by natural selection do so out of ignorance, without ever having carefully scrutinized it or investigating the facts for themselves. That investigation actually entails reading Darwin's Origin of Species. At no point in this analysis will I make the argument or draw the conclusion that God did it. What I intend to show is that a person doesn't need a speck of religious persuasion to reject Darwin's theory. All you need is logic, common sense, and to actually examine the facts for yourself. God doesn't need to defeat Darwin because Darwin does an excellent job all by himself with an enormous amount of help from science. There is one question that science always answers or seeks to answer. That question is how. If science does not answer that question or isn't actively pursuing an explanation for how, then it fails to be science. Where Darwin's theory fails is not the idea, it's an explaining how. And the more information we gain about life and how wonderfully complex it is, the more explaining Darwin's theory has to do. In part one of this episode, I will define what evolution is and clarify terms. I will then explain how natural selection works and what is at stake if Darwin is wrong. In parts two, three, and four, I will present seven reasons why natural selection does not exist. These reasons will explain how Darwin never presented a plausible explanation for natural selection and origin, only some vague theoretical conjectures. I will also draw upon contemporary knowledge in molecular biochemistry, genetics, and medicine to further validate that natural selection is not real. I will also explain how the fossil record is not evidence for evolution, but rather a large reservoir of evidence against natural selection. Finally, in part five, I will conclude by making an inference to the best explanation and discern what meaningful conclusions can be drawn because natural selection is not real and therefore evolution is not true. In describing seven reasons why natural selection does not exist, I do not believe that each reason will be totally persuasive in and of itself. Rather, each reason will serve as some proof against natural selection so that the cumulative summation of evidence demands the verdict that natural selection is not real. Now, before I dive into the mechanics of the modern theory of evolution, I must make a distinction between Darwinian evolution and science. Science answers the question of how by telling us what is. Science plays an invaluable part in helping human beings to understand reality. What I do every day as a medical doctor, for example, is materially advanced by research and empirical trials. True science is, therefore, not something to be denigrated, but to be championed. Accordingly, I am in no way anti-science. I am a seasoned physician, and while engaged in my particular field of expertise, I consult concrete scientific data to guide me as to what to do. In other words, it's all about what is true and where the facts lead. This is why I must make an early distinction between science and Darwin's theory of evolution by natural selection. It is simply because I champion science that Darwinian pseudoscience cannot be tolerated. Of course, the reasons for this distinction we made clear in what follows. In the medical world, there are real doctors who really graduate medical school and go through real residencies and make sure they are not only credentialed but qualified. Then there are quack doctors who give themselves an honorary title but shouldn't be treating your enemy's dog. 
Just as quack MDs give real doctors a bad name, Darwinian evolution by natural selection gives legitimate science a bad name. Real science can certainly entertain intelligent dissent because real science grows stronger after wrestling with competing ideas. In fact, dissenters propel science forward by challenging the status quo. If science refuses to at least consider competing explanations, then that's not real science, and blind acceptance of the dictates of the establishment is not independent thought. In fact, it exemplifies the absence of thought. So, we shall embark to discover the scientific truth by fully understanding the objections to that truth. Indeed, religion is perfectly capable when it begins to act like a coercive tyrant with an ideology to uphold. Science acting like a religion can also do the same thing. Now let us begin our quest for the truth by defining what evolution and natural selection are. So the first question is, what is evolution? The National Academy of Sciences defines evolution as, quote, changes in the heritable traits of a population of organisms as successive generations replace one another. It is populations of organisms that evolve, not individual organisms, end quote. Dr. Jerry Coyne is a biologist and a specialist in evolutionary genetics. In his book, Why Evolution is True, he succinctly summarizes the modern theory of evolution in one sentence. He writes, quote, Life on Earth evolved gradually, beginning with one primitive species, perhaps a self-replicating molecule, that lived more than 3.5 billion years ago. It then branched out over time, throwing off many new and diverse species, and the mechanism for most, but not all, of evolutionary change is natural selection, end quote. In his book, Dr. Coyne then goes on to explain that this definition consists of six components. Evolution, gradualism, speciation, common ancestry, natural selection, and non-selective mechanisms of evolutionary change. We shall now unpack each of these components. So the first component is evolution, which is defined as the genetic change that a species undergoes over time. The idea is that as time goes on and species change genetically, over generations, one species, like apes, can evolve into another, like humans. This genetic change comes from mutations. Evolutionary theory does not state that all species must evolve. We have to immediately take a brief aside here for a moment to realize that by definition, evolution is a very broad term that encompasses many diverse things. It is therefore necessary to clarify what someone precisely means by it. Big evolution or macroevolution is what most people think about when they hear evolution, like apes evolving into humans. But according to definition, evolution also refers to just in-species variation, like the fact that the genes in a population change over time, like the change in frequency of genes that control fur color in a group of animals. Even more, evolution can also refer to cyclical genetic change in a species where the frequencies of some genes increase and decrease through generations. These situations illustrate small evolution or microevolution. Microevolution does not refer to apes evolving into humans. In microevolution, for example, birds stay birds and bacteria stay bacteria, but the gene frequencies in the respective populations change over time. Now, reality tells us that nature is always changing. Reality also tells us that if you give them time, species of animals and plants all change. And here's the thing. 
of course species change over time, and of course their gene frequencies change. Not even Darwin skeptics deny this fact. If a village of Eskimos from the North Pole moved south and married and had children with a village of people from Sub-Saharan Africa, you will now have a population that has undergone genetic change over time. Does this mean that the human beings in this population have evolved into a different species? Of course not. It simply means that a new generation of humans will have different gene frequencies than their parents. It's important to realize that by definition, this example highlights microevolution, but this does not mean that species are evolving in the sense that one species evolves into another. It simply means that a species is changing. So when evolution is used to refer merely to microevolution, this tells us that birds will remain birds, but those birds will not become dragons. By incorporating mere genetic change into the definition of evolution, many will thus champion the fact of microevolution and then subsume the fact of macroevolution under a unified banner. Truly, science does not have the power to define something into existence, so because what evolution refers to is so broad, when a person says, I know evolution is true, the next best question to then ask is, what do you mean by that exactly? Now that all of that is clear, my primary concern going forward is big evolution or macroevolution, how one species evolves into another. Let's return to Dr. Coyne's definition. The second component of evolution is gradualism. Gradualism means that species change slowly over thousands or perhaps even millions of generations. This change does not happen evenly, but does happen gradually over long periods of time. Speciation is the third component of the theory of evolution. This refers to one ancestor splitting into two distinct species. Speciation happens when one species evolves into another, so an ape can speciate into an intermediate, and then the intermediate can speciate into a human being. The fourth component of the theory of evolution is common ancestry, which is self-explanatory. Many descendants have a common parent in the past, at some point, if we look back in the family tree of evolution. The fifth component of evolutionary theory is non-selective mechanisms of evolutionary change. This simply refers to the fact that all evolutionary change does not happen by natural selection, but non-selective mechanisms do not have the power to affect speciation. The final component of the theory of evolution is natural selection. This is the non-random, differential reproduction of alleles from one generation to the next. The evolutionary biologist Richard Dawkins defined natural selection as the non-random survival of random variants. Dawkins also described natural selection as being a blind watchmaker that has no purpose, no vision, no mind, and no plans for the future. In The God Delusion, Professor Dawkins wrote the following, quote, Natural selection is the blind watchmaker, blind because it does not see ahead, does not plan consequences, has no purpose in view. Yet the living results of natural selection overwhelmingly impress us with the appearance of design, as if by a master watchmaker, impress us with the illusion of design and planning. End quote. Presumably, Natural selection results from the carriers of some genes being better able to survive and reproduce in their environments than the carriers of alternative genes. 
Simply put then, natural selection refers to the idea that some organisms vary genetically compared to others, and this genetic variance affects an organism's ability to survive and thus reproduce in its habitat. These beneficial genes would presumably be passed on to members of the next generation, where more copies of the beneficial genes would exist relative to not-so-beneficial genes. These beneficial genes would in turn equip some individuals to survive and reproduce more, and thus repeat the process. Beneficial genes yield adaptations, and accumulated adaptations over time leads to speciation. According to theory, natural selection is non-random since it selects those organisms that are the best adapted to their environment. Slowly over long periods of time, random mutations arise and some prove beneficial to an organism. These are selected for. Conversely, harmful mutations are weeded out. These are selected against. The result of this process is that organisms become better and better suited to their environments and organisms with better adaptations begin to evolve from those who are less well adapted. Seemingly, then, the end result of natural selection, plus lots of time is speciation, where one species accumulates so many beneficial adaptations that it evolves into another. It is important to remember that natural selection does not select organisms, it selects genes. This idea was popularized in The Selfish Gene by Richard Dawkins. So finches, tigers, frogs are all merely bags of DNA, and when these animals die, their genes live on. This means that in the drama of evolution, genes are the central actors, not organisms. What this therefore also means is that at its core, life is merely survival of selfish genes. Biology is not concerned with purpose, but for the sake of argument, the only real purpose of life is for our DNA to make more copies of itself. Thus, according to Darwinism, the goal of life is survival, nothing less, nothing more. The second question is, what is natural selection? Evolution works by natural selection. Natural selection is the engine of evolution and the means by which evolution happens. Natural selection is the exclusive process that preserves adaptations and thus results in speciation. In other words, natural selection and natural selection alone is what yields all the splendid diversity of species in nature and is what seemingly molded tadpoles to creepy crawlers to hairy beasts that roam about on two legs. Over time, you cannot have big evolutionary changes in a population without natural selection. Thus, without natural selection, macroevolution will not happen. In fact, if you refer back to evolution source, Charles Darwin, there is no distinction between the theory of evolution and the theory of natural selection. They are, in fact, essentially one and the same. Evolution says that things slowly change over time and change into different things. Natural selection allegedly explains how. There are many in modernity who may try to separate the two, but Darwin didn't, nor should we. As Gertrude Himmelfarb writes in her book, Darwin and the Darwinian Revolution, quote, Without natural selection, Darwin declared, the theory of descent was unintelligible and unprovable. Natural selection in showing how species descended from others also showed that they did descend from others, end quote. In fact, logically speaking, natural selection has priority and must come first because it is what makes evolution possible. Let us not forget the full title of origin is On the Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection. 
The engine that drives the car of evolution is natural selection. When we look under the hood and see what the engine consists of, we see that natural selection has three core components. The first is that a population has to be variable. The second is that there has to be heritability or the fact that variation exists because of genetic variation. The third is that this genetic variation then affects the probability that an organism will leave offspring. It is important to understand that genetic variability affects survival ability and the best genes win. The source of novel genetic information comes exclusively from mutations, which are random changes in DNA. Random simply means that mutations happen by chance and occur regardless of whether or not they would benefit an organism. What is therefore absolutely crucial to understand is that natural selection does not create any new genetic information in any way. It merely supposes to preserve existing genetic information by preserving beneficial mutations. It is also essential to understand that natural selection is not an event, but a process. By definition, it is an ongoing progression where gene frequencies and populations change over time. The third question is, what does evolution by natural selection attempt to explain? And the answer is the diversity of life. Not the origin of life, but the diversity of species. Darwin himself wrote that for evolution to be true, it would have to offer an explanation for how all the species on the planet speciated. Darwin writes in Origin of Species, quote, such a conclusion, even if well-founded, would be unsatisfactory until it could be shown how the innumerable species inhabiting this world have been modified so as to acquire that perfection of structure and co-adaptation which justly excites our imagination, End quote. Furthermore, Dr. Jerry Coyne writes, quote, the theory of natural selection has a big job, the biggest job in biology. Its task is to explain how every adaptation evolved, step by step, from traits that preceded it. This includes not just body form and color, but the molecular features that underlie everything. Selection must explain the evolution of complex physiological traits, the clotting of blood, the metabolic systems that transform food into energy, the marvelous immune system that can recognize and destroy thousands of foreign proteins, end quote. In a sense, the theory of evolution places a huge burden on itself because it attempts to give an explanation for the origin of species for all animals and plants. Hence, for evolution by natural selection to be true, it must elucidate a plausible mechanism for speciation for all organic beings which have ever lived. And, as Darwin himself writes, this explanation is not just for mediocre life. This explanation clarifies a movement toward perfection. Darwin writes again in Origin of Species, quote, and as natural selection works solely by and for the good of each being, all physical and mental endowments will tend to progress toward perfection. End quote. Life is incomprehensibly complex, so explaining life step by step and piece by piece is more than a big job in biology. Besides the origin of the universe, I dare say, it is the biggest job in all the cosmos. Even more, the theory of evolution must complete its job by describing the precise mechanisms of how natural selection acts step by step via the interaction with the code of life, DNA. 
let us remember that natural selection is a blind mechanism that is supposed to have crafted butterflies, frogs, owls, bears, dogs, apes, and humans, and is supposed to have done this reliably enough to manufacture brains, eyes, wings, and claws in these distinct groups. Evolution from a single-celled organism to a human being is a huge leap, and to say evolution did it is an extraordinary claim. Extraordinary claims demand extraordinary evidence. This claim cannot be explained away with rhetoric, vague flower examples, or speculations about what may happen. It must provide something concrete. If it does not, then the theory of evolution falls apart. Now I hope that we all have a clear idea of what evolution by natural selection is, what it supposedly does, and what it attempts to explain. Moving forward, our attention will not be on microevolution, but macroevolution. Linguists can debate over definitions ad nauseum, but my concern will not be what is defined into existence, but what the facts actually tell us. I will not be concerned with established species merely changing, but will be concerned with one distinct species speciating into another. This assessment, of course, comes with the realization that the bridge between microevolution and macroevolution is theoretical and imaginary. As Richard B. Goldschmidt writes in Theoretical Genetics, quote, It is good to keep in mind that nobody has ever succeeded in producing even one new species by the accumulation of micromutations, end quote. So was Darwin wrong? In the podcast that follow, I will explain that yes, he was. Subsequently, what you are left with is a theory of evolution by natural selection that simultaneously pretends to explain everything while explaining nothing at all. Natural selection poses as a scientific theory and claims to be a rational deduction from the evidence, but it is in fact a flawed argument based on mere speculation. Ultimately, natural selection explains nothing because it is nothing. True science cannot ignore crucial details that are relevant to natural selection, and if the details are ignored, then what we are left with is what John Maidarn Smith called fact-free science. So, join me in part two when I will explain the first two reasons why natural selection does not exist. Reason number one is because it lacks legitimate explanatory power, and reason number two is because natural selection is predicated on too many assumptions. Before I sign off, I'd invite all my listeners to visit truthfinder.org, where you can find links to download the free ebook, Why Evolution is Not True, Because Natural Selection Does Not Exist. Thank you for listening. For more valuable content, including transcripts and research notes, please visit truthfinder.org.